Blog Talk Radio. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the BHITB Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Fortson. Today, we're going to continue our discussion. This is Satan's America. And today, we're going to get into the lines of Shem, and I'm going to try to get into the line of Japheth. And before we get into that, if you are not yet a patron, make sure you go check that out. For only a dollar, you get red pill access to all the food for thoughts and the coming soon. If you want to be an all-access patron, you get access to everything, including uh, Mini Study Mondays, all the red pill stuff, and you get both welcome packages, the red pill welcome package and the all-access all welcome package. So check those out. And one last, two last things before we, subscribe, uh, before we continue. Uh, subscribe to the website, blackhistoryinthebible.com. Get your free book, Pre-Slavery Christianity. There's a link in the email. Click the link to download the PDF version of the book. And also make sure you click the confirmation link so you get the emails and updates whenever I post new studies and new podcasts. And finally, huge shout-out to Shante Charles, who did a video called um, Daring Dialogues, which is her um, podcast, season four, episode number 24. It's about Christian identity. And it goes hand-in-hand hand with everything I've been talking about in this series about the deceptions uh, within the European church and how a lot of it stems from Christian identity. Not only that, if you listen to it as she goes through, and she doesn't uh, make these connections, but as, as you go through, you'll start to see that there is a lot of camp doctrine that comes out of Christian identity, which is what myself and Teo have been pointing out when we, ca- when we call it a Cointel Pro Op. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, I'll have a link on the site. Again, her name is Shante Charles. Her um, podcast is called Daring Dialogues. This is season four, episode number 24, her discussion on Christian identity. She did a great job on that. All right, so let's jump back into our study. So we're talking about the descendants of Noah, and we have made it down to Shem. Now, don't worry if I skipped over a lot of Ham's descendants. Um, don't worry about it because a lot of this stuff is going to come back up as we navigate through the Bible. And in order in order to stay on track, I can't go down every single rabbit hole. Uh, Shem and Japheth are going to be the same way. Some stuff I'm going to touch on and go deeper into, and some stuff I'm just going to kind of glance over until later. All right, so if you have any questions, send them to me on the website, blackhistoryinthebible.com. Let's get it. All right, so Shem, his name means a, re, a name of renown. Prosperity. That's the name what Shem means in Hebrew. Now, Shem has five sons Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram, or Aram. So these are the five sons of Shem. Now, what you need to know about um, Aram is that he's the father of the Aramean people, or where we get the language Aramaic from. So when you hear people refer to Aramaic, just know that that is linked to uh, Shem's son, Aram. And uh, let me see. Our Faxad. Our Faxad is going to be the chosen line, the line through which the Messiah will come. It's going to be the line that leads to the Hebrews and Abraham, and we're going to talk about that in a second. So let's start with the Elamites. The Elamites, the first son of Shem named. Now, we're taught from the um, traditional European interpretation of Scripture that Shem is the father of all Arabs, and um, Jewish people who are still basically Arab. Arab just means somebody who lives on the continent of Arabia. And because we are used to seeing Arabs that look like they do today, many people assume that they always look like that. And so you'll find that the traditional teaching um, is that Shem 
these people came from Shem and they always look like that, but that's not true. When the Greeks and Romans came, they started to mix in with uh, the Cushite tribes and some of the Shemite tribes, and so they began to lighten up over centuries until they became what we see today because, as we've seen, the further you go back in history, the darker these people get. And so the Elamites are a huge deal in the Bible, right? So the, the Elamites, um, they are mentioned in quite a few places in Scripture. Uh, let me go and pull that section up. I actually thought I had notes on the Elamites being um, where they were mentioned, but I'm not going to worry about it. Um, I'll give you the list anyway. Uh, Daniel is um, Daniel is one of the books that the Elamites are mentioned in. They are also mentioned in the book of, well, let me back up. The Elamites built a palace called in, in Shushan, S-H-U-S-H-A-N. This palace is mentioned in Nehemiah, Esther, and um, let's see, Nehemiah, Esther, and the book of Daniel. The Shushan Palace. Palace. A lot of these words are hard to say. There's a lot of S's. So these, these guys, they built this temple, and it's going to end up being used by the Elamites, the Babylonians, the Persians. There's even a, a verse where God says he's going to set his throne in Shushan, in their palace. And the importance of this palace doesn't even become evident until you start to dig into the archaeology. So what you need to know about the Elamites is that they are archers, and they had this palace in Shushan, which is uh, we know it as Susa. If you're doing any research on Shushan, you can look up in the Bible as S-H-U-S-H-A-N. Outside of the Bible, historical references, it is known as Susa, S-U-S-A. And it is believed... Um, that it was pronounced Suzanne, like S-U-S-A-N, like the name. It was pronounced Susan for either the son or daughter of um, Elam, I believe it was. It was either Elam or his grandchild. There's a story floating around. This is not in the Bible. The part about his uh, daughter or possibly son, uh, that's not found in the Bible. That's found in outside text. Uh, But anyway, it gives a good good, uh, story on the origin of the name Susan. It refers to this palace, Shushan. So these people, they built this palace and they started to paint depictions of themselves. Now, on the walls, if you go um, look uh, on ministerfortson.com or you can use the search bar on blackhistorythebible.com, if you search for Elamites, I do have two studies on the Elamites that you should read. One is called Doctrines of Deception, which is a series that's going on on ministerfortson.com, where I go through and I point out the uh, false European uh, depictions that were fed, and then I go through and find the real uh, depictions that were fed. Also, um, The Three Sons of Noah, that's, that's another one you should check out. I debunk some of the archaeology around the origin of the um, nations where it shows, uh, many of you know the famous picture, where it shows um, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and it shows Ham as dark, it shows um, Shem as uh, brown, and it shows Japheth as white. Well, I go through there and debunk that. I pull the real image from archaeology, and you'll see that all the people in that, um, in that depiction are black. And it is a later artist that comes through and repaints his idea of what they should look like 
and that's the image that they use and present on TV and in studies. They use the repainted image. They don't use the real one, the original. So if you look those up, you will find that the Elamites went through and they painted themselves as black archers. This isn't a conjecture. It's they used uh, brown, dark brown paint, um, and they painted themselves as black people all over the walls at Shushan Palace, and they painted themselves as archers. Now, I'm not going to get too deep in the Edomites for time, but just know that the Elamites were black, which should make everybody question, why are we being taught that Shem was the father of light brown people, like light-skinned people? This just isn't true. He's, the Arabs that they look like today did not always look like that. And so if Elam was black and his father was Shem. Now, and Shem's brother is black, uh, Ham, which we covered last time. Shem's, um, yeah, Shem's brother Ham is black. And Noah is an albino. Shem's father is an albino born to people who were not white. Common sense tells you that Shem was also not white or what we call Middle Eastern. Shem was also dark or black. And so... We're going we're gonna to leave Elam there because we're going to come back to Elam later on. So now we go to Asher. Uh, the Bible does make an interesting re- reference to Asher in uh, Genesis 10 when we get to um, – it's actually found in Ham. Um, in the genealogy of Ham, as we get to the Nimrod part in uh, verse 10, Genesis – I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 10, verse 11. It says, out of the land, out of that land went forth Asher and built Nineveh and the city of Roho, uh, Rehoboth and Kala. So, <laughs> excuse me, Asher, he goes and builds Nineveh. And Asher is only listed in the genealogy under Shem. So unless there was another Asher, I'll assume that this refers to Shem. Because we're going to see Abraham gets pulled out of um, a Cushite empire as well. So Asher comes out of the Cushite empire and builds Nineveh. If you go do some research on Nineveh, you will find that the reliefs showing captured people in Nineveh show what we would call Negroes. They have the the kinky afros, the nappy afros. They have the beards. They have the lips. They have the noses. This is what the reliefs show. They do not show Caucasians. They do not show what we would call Arabs today. They show Negroes being captured at Nineveh. And, again, this is stuff that they just refuse to show you. This goes as part of the deception because European doctrine – European Christian doctrine does not want anybody to acknowledge how prevalent the black presence was in the Middle East. And so because they don't want to acknowledge this, they have retaught everything, which now because of the Internet, we're starting to bring this stuff to the surface. But by knowing this, we can understand, one, when we spot a false teacher, when we encounter a false teacher that's teaching stuff that we know doesn't seem to line up historically with the Bible – Knowing this stuff makes it easier to point it out. This isn't about race having to do with salvation. This is about deception. And a lot of people don't get that. People are still asking me, you know, what does race have to do with any of this? Race has everything to do with this because if somebody lies, uh, I'm going to go off the beaten. I'm just going to go off track real quick because here's the thing. If somebody lies to you and they come to you and say, I'll give you the example of ice cream. Let's just use ice cream. If somebody comes and says, hey, here's strawberry ice cream. This strawberry ice cream is great. And you're eating this ice cream, you're eating this ice cream, and later on you find out it's vanilla. Now, even though you like the ice cream, that's irrelevant. And you may love the ice cream, 
But the fact is they lie to you. They lie to you. They came in and told you it was strawberry. Now, you go back and confront them about this strawberry ice cream, and you say, you know, why, why did you lie? Their response is, well, the flavor is not important. Does it sound familiar? This is what they always say, oh, well, race isn't important. It's not about that. Well, it's about the lie. If you know that Jesus was white or not white this whole time, and you came to me and presented me these images of white Jesus and said, this is Jesus, this is Jesus. Now, even though I'm a believer and I still believe regardless of the color, why lie to me up front? Why lie to me in the first place if it's not about color? Why not tell me the Bible says he has bronze skin? Why bring to me a non-bronze skin image or portrait of Jesus or the Hebrews or the Egyptians? Why do all that lying first and then, then only then when I point it out, then they will admit that, hey, I know this was a lie. However, I decided to present this lie to you anyway. This is, this is what happens when we start to dig through history. We find out that a lot of these people have lied to us, and then now they don't want to accept responsibility for those lies. They want to deflect and make it seem like it's something wrong with you for pointing out their lie. So this is why it's important to understand. So go back to Shushan Palace and check the Elamites. Go back um, – to Asher and check Nineveh. But Asher is going to become the origin of the Assyrians, uh, many believe. So if you want further proof that the Shemites were black, go check Assyrian art. If you check Assyrian art and reliefs, you will find a lot of images, stone carvings of Negroes. You just have to go dig in. And then over time, um, the, the territory that the Assyrian Empire has is going to become Persian territory which we now know as modern-day Iraq. Um, now, the Persians are interesting because the Persians come in in the book of Daniel, and um, there's a lot of books. So uh, let, me, let me back up a little bit. Darius the Great is the Persian I'm spe uh, speaking of specifically. Darius the Great, king of Persia, he comes in in the book of Ezra. Uh, they mention him in the book of Daniel. They mention him in the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah. So Darius the Persian comes in, and his palace is at Shushan. He um, takes over the Elamite palace, and what happens is um, Darius the Great has different monuments and statues made of him, and he's also known as Pharaoh of Egypt uh, because at that time he ruled over Egypt as well. And so if you go look up the um, dedication of Darius the Great in Egypt, you will see an image of an Egyptian pharaoh with brown skin. Darius was not a um, light-skinned Persian or any of the other stuff you see in the uh, movies and stuff. Darius had dark skin, and I will have um, links to some of these images. Now, that's one piece of evidence, the one found in um, Egypt. Now, people can try to say, you know, people just wanted to make people look like them. That's not true, because if you're a king living at the time that these things are dedicated to you, and they make an image that does not look like you at all, the king was not having that. The king wanted to be remembered forever. So Darius the Great is made into a black man in Egypt. If you go um, at the Shushan Palace, if you look at the Sphinx, there is, it's called the Sphinx of Darius the Great, right? So it's painted with black skin. It's a black Sphinx. And this isn't just a, they made it out of black stone. No, they painted it on the wall, and they purposely used uh, brown paint. And then um, if you get into some of the other uh, imagery, uh, let me see here. Let me pull up one. I don't want to get all these. There is another statue of Darius uh, the Great. It's a relief of Darius and Persepolis. 
look that up for yourself. There's a link on blackhistoryinthebible.com under Darius 1, a black Medo-Persian king in the Bible, and it will show you this image. It is an image of Darius the Great. He clearly has an afro. He clearly has nappy hair, and his hands are painted black. They gave him black skin. This was not an accident. These people in the Bible were black. And yet when we see images of Darius, they're often uh, from the imagination. The imagination of a Greek painter made in 1888. There's a picture of that, too, that shows the image that we most often see when they present Darius out of the Bible. So ask yourself, why wouldn't they use all these these, um, actual pieces of evidence physically painted and carved onto walls and instead they use a reimagined portrait from 1888 because it's all about deceptions and as i said before europeans are fine with deception as long as it's a white deception if you push out white people they will say okay there's no big deal it's not about skin color but as soon as you say it's black or you start pointing out it's black then all of a sudden they have a problem with the truth and they want to tell you you need to repent or it's not about that. And to me, it's so backwards. You would think that they would want to repent for the lie, but no, they want you to repent for the truth. So just avoid people who false teach. It's, it's honestly, it comes down to that. Avoid people who false teach. So let's, let's get into the line of Eber uh, coming out of uh, Darius the Great. So the line of Eber through our facts ad is going to be the chosen line. So Abraham gets called out of Ur. Abraham, you can go through this in Genesis 10. You can go through the genealogy and get down to Abraham through our facts head. So Abraham, we're going to jump down to him. Before his name was changed to Abraham, he called out of Ur. Ur, if you recall, was established. It's one of the um, provinces of Babylon. It was established by Nimrod, who was a Cushite, who was a son of Ham. So Nimrod was a black man. And so Abraham was called out of his empire. Immediately, Abraham is sent into Canaan. Canaan are black people from the line of Ham, the Canaanites. So from Canaan, he journeys into Egypt. Egyptians are black people from the line of Ham. So you see all this journeying around black people, living among black people. It's going to be a constant mixing. And at some point in there, Abraham gets an Egyptian concubine by the name of Hagar. She's a black woman. Abraham and Hagar get together and they have a kid named Ishmael. Now, we know Ishmael is not Caucasian at all because he has a grandson named Kedar, and Kedar names mean swarthy or dark skin. And a lot of Caucasians try to apply this word swarthy to themselves, but it, it's not what it's meant for. Swarthy refers to black people. So Abraham has this um, woman he has a black kid with, and their descendants become famous for their black tents. Kedar um, they used horses and archers, and they had tents. And I don't want to stray off into that, but when we come back to it, when we get down to Jacob and Esau, you're going to see that Esau actually starts making wives of Ishmael's daughters. So these black women that Esau married, uh, remember when I tell you about the camps, the camps don't like to teach that. They don't like to teach that Esau married black women uh, because then they, have to, then they have to go through and explain how Esau turned white. And they really don't like to go do that at length. They like to jump ahead. They like to just jump straight to kid them. They don't like to give you the history because they know that it doesn't add up what they're saying. So we're going we're gonna to come back to um, Shem because I do want to get through Japheth today so that we can speed, or not really speed, so we can move progress through this study. So Japheth means enlarged, right? So Japheth 
is the third son of Noah, and this is where tradition teaches that the Caucasians came from. So pay attention to this um, in Genesis 9:27. When it first there's a prophecy after the curse of Canaan, it does say Canaan will be slave to Shem, and then it also says that. Um, let me go to let me go to um, 9:27. I'll read directly from it. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So now if you think back to what I told you about the Canaanites and um, white supremacist Christian doctrine or Christian identity, it says that Canaan would be a slave. And then they reinterpret that to say, okay, well, all of Ham's children, all of his descendants were cursed, so therefore they can all be slaves. And since they put themselves in the position of Japheth and Shem, even though they teach that Shem is the father of Arab, the white supremacist doctrine teaches that these are all white people and that therefore since the curse was on ham according to them and the curse was to be slaves they are not wrong for slavery the kind of slavery that happened in america so they use the bible to justify this and this is why they don't believe they owe us reparations they don't believe they owe us anything because they believe that that was our curse in the bible even though it has been wrongly applied to the wrong people so let's look at this word patah, though. There's a word uh, enlarge. Now, the word enlarge seems straightforward enough if you read the surface. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So there's three parts to this. God, God shall enlarge. The first word there is patah, strong number 6601. Interesting what it means. It means allure, deceive, enlarge, entice, flatter, persuade, and silly one. So if you look at the definitions of these, we all know what enlarge means. It means to make bigger. But the other definitions, the other words that it means are what make it interesting. So if you put it in there that God shall allure Japheth, it means powerfully attract or charm, tempt him. God shall deceive Japheth of a person, cause, or cause someone to believe something that is not true, typically in order to gain some personal advantage. So it's a potential there that God will deceive Japheth. And then another one, uh, another definition of the word is entice. It says to attract or tempt by offering pleasure or advantage. Flatter, lavish, insincere praise and compliments upon someone, especially to further one's own interest. To give an unrealistically favorable impression of. And finally persuade, to cause someone to do something through reasoning or argument. To cause to believe something, especially after a sustained effort to convince. So, basically, what it's saying is that there is a potential there that God is going to deceive Japheth, right? And he shall dwell in the tents of Shem or live where Shem is supposed to be living. Where is Shem supposed to be? Shem is supposed to be in Israel. The, the Hebrews are supposed to be in Israel living there. But who do we have there? The Ashkenazi are there who believe that they are Jews. The world believes that they are Jews. And yet, when we read Genesis 10, we see that Ashkenaz is connected to who? Japheth. So the Lord shall deceive Japheth, and they shall dwell in the tents of Shem. And it says, and Canaan shall be his servant. We know that the Europeans brought us over here, but we also have talked about briefly that the Ashkenazi, the Jews were the ones who financed the slave trade, all the other extra stuff that they needed, the, the people, the staff, the food, the supplies. They financed all that. So we see that slavery is their thing. They didn't just enslave us. I mean, they've enslaved people all over the world. But 
the prophecy is there, that they shall be deceived. Now, if you want to tie it in together and understand that this prophecy is not about Japheth just being enlarged, which Japheth was enlarged as well, but there's deeper meaning to that just enlarged. Japheth has been enlarged because they have been deceived. So if you really dig into Eurocentric doctrine, you get into what's called manifest destiny, which is what they use to justify slaughtering all the Native Americans on this continent. They use manifest destiny that it was their right to take this land. The Lord shall deceive Japheth, and he also was enlarged because of this belief in manifest destiny. Uh, go look that up if you want. So we see the Ashkenazi right now, and if you go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah confirms that this is a deception going on among the Gentiles. Uh, Japheth is called the Gentiles. If you read the genealogy in chapter 10, Japheth, um, well, we'll get to that in a second. So Jeremiah, just to confirm what I was saying about the deception, Jeremiah 16, 19, he says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies vanity and things wherein there is no profit. Now, remember what I told you. If, if you're teaching the truth, there is consistency. So when you look up this word and it says the Lord shall enlarge or deceive or allure or entice Japheth, and then you go to um, Jeremiah and it says in the end times they shall come and admit that they've been deceived, you start to see a consistency there. So in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 10, it gives the um, genealogy. Japheth has uh, five kids, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, and Tubal. These are going to come up again. Um, Gomer is the uh, father of Ashkenaz, which is where the Ashkenazi Jews come from, so they are linked to Japheth. Um, and then some of these I'll come back to in a minute. I'm sorry, he had more than five. He had seven, Meshach and Tyrus. So we'll come back to those seven kids soon. Uh, but just keep in mind that Ashkenaz came from Gomer, and that is the root of the Ashkenazis. And the reason we know that these are Gentiles is because of the structure of Scripture. Genesis 10.5 says, after it finishes the genealogy of Japheth, by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their land, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. So, the way the scripture is set up, in Genesis chapter 10, you have the genealogy. It starts off with Japheth. At the end of Japheth, it says, by these were the isles of the Gentiles um, divided in their lands. After Japheth, you get Ham, and then you'll get Shem. So the Gentiles, can, if, there were, if you say that they're referring to everybody from the genealogy before it's mentioned, there's only Japheth there to, to say it is. If you try to say that, well, the Gentiles refer to all non-Hebrews, the problem is, the word is used before it gives the genealogy of Ham and Shem, which would include them in the um, prophecy. So none of that definition of Gentiles fits uh, for the Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew Israelite camps out there to tell you that the Gentiles are really scattered Hebrews claiming to be Gentiles and they were Hellenistic and all this other nonsense they come up with. The fact is the word Gentile existed prior to any of that. It existed while Shem, Ham, and Japheth uh, were there way before the Hebrews were born. So anybody telling you it's all non-Hebrews is lying. They're teaching falsely. And if you really want to get into a study of the Gentiles, go to Unmasking the Gentiles. It's a study on blackhistoryinthebible.com. You'll see it's the, um, the role of Europeans in Bible prophecy. And let me see here. All right, so the Gentiles, the Gentiles are going to play a very important part throughout Scripture. And the reason being is because they are going to be used to fulfill a lot of prophecy. 
And we're going to talk about the um, – we're going to get into some of the Gentile prophecies in the next episode. We're going to talk about the destiny of the Gentiles, where they would end up, who they would conquer. Uh, and the Bible even goes as far as to give us some of the symbology that they would use on these nations. And finally, before we get out of here, I do want to let you guys know that um, myself and Tao are having a crazy iron sharpening session behind the scenes. Um that really all stemmed from my Gentile study, and it spilled over into the New Testament. Now, you'll notice in Unmasking the Gentiles, I did not address the ethnos, and I didn't address the ethnos for a reason. Uh, I'm not going to get into that reason right now. For those of you who are um, Red Pill patrons, go read the Move for Thought post, the ethnos, and it'll that will give you a breakdown of why I didn't bring it in. But the, the iron sharpening session going on behind the scenes, we have really broken down some words in the New Testament, and now we're starting to understand the differentiation between references to the Gentiles as a nation versus Gentiles as individuals. And once that, that session is done and we iron out everything, because it started as a disagreement, and it's, now it's, it's flowed into something where we're uh, coming together on an interpretation. So you guys will get that study in full once it's done. I'll push that out for everybody. So make sure you subscribe uh, on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe on Twitter. Share this study. Tomorrow we're going to jump into some of the prophecies, and we're going to um, progress further into the study. If you have any questions, feel free to send them. Until next time, I'm out.